Happy 4th of July, everyone. This is Majority 54, but you got Ben Micellis here instead of Ravi Gupta. He's on break. I'm joined, of course, by the one and only Jason Kander. Let's get right into it. Donald Trump spent Independence Day posting QAnon memes and amplifying extremist groups on his social media platform. We'll compare and contrast the posts by Trump to the very normal post by President Biden. Meanwhile, the special purpose acquisition company, or SPAC, set to merge with Donald Trump's social media company, Trump Media, just reached an $18 million settlement agreement with the Securities and Exchange Commission. This as the Justice Department continues its criminal investigation into the conduct by this SPAC and Trump media. And get this, Donald Trump is refusing to sign the settlement agreement as he wants to throw the SPAC under the bus. We'll break that all down. Cold water is thrown on Ron DeSantis, or perhaps Ron DeSantis loves just throwing cold water on himself. Get this. Betting markets are giving California Governor Gavin Newsom, who isn't even running, better odds at winning the 2024 election than Ron DeSantis. I mean, folks, let's just face it. Ron DeSantis doesn't even know how to eat a pizza. So how did Ron DeSantis go from the rights, quote unquote, normal alternative to Trump to an even more fringe candidate? We'll discuss and of course, we'll break down his pizza sniffing antics. Finally, We'll recap the Supreme Court decisions from last week, and we'll try to make sense of how a hypothetical case surrounding a fake gay couple from a entity that doesn't even make websites that claims it was a website company led to a ruling with massive implications. We've got an ambitious majority 54 today. I think we can get through all of these topics, Jason Kander. A lot of topics. Well, you know, when you bring in Ben, you tend to get like a little more content. Uh, I was looking at that one. I was like, oh, there's we have, we have a lot more to say today, which it, maybe it just is, you know, the hangover from the holiday. But I think it's I think it's your your great work. I'm not sure. So I'm excited. Well, we'll, 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 we'll see. You can give me a rating at the end of the pod. Okay. But let's talk about um, this July 4th, you know, because as I see the fireworks, as I see the American flag, you know, as I see these great symbols of America, I think about how these symbols have been co-opted. And we here at the Midas Touch Network, I mean, you see, I've got the flag behind me. I've got a constitution as well on that fireplace. It's hard to see it somewhere <laughs> on the fireplace next to some of the uh, children's books from some of my clients. And I love those children's books. People want to know why I have that uh, on top of the fireplace. But you know, I think about how patriotism, I think about how symbols like our great constitution have been co-opted by the right, you know, and I think it is time for Democrats. I think it was long past time, but for Democrats and just the pro-democracy movement in general to be okay with this, like, like love it. Let's talk about it, but not in a performative way. And I think that's the key, you know, that's the key distinction, right? You see on the other side, this performative patriotism, the performative holding the Constitution while they take away people's freedoms. They're talking about freedom while doing the exact opposite. So to me, it becomes a very potent political force. And I want to get your view of it when you actually marry the symbolism with the conduct. And it's okay, I think, for Democrats, and we should, pro-democracy in general, set aside Democrats saying, look, we love this country. There's a lot that we can do better. We, too, love the flag. We love the Constitution. Um, but we're really doing things. Focus on our conduct, not just the symbolism. That was one of my Fourth of July reflections. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point because, like, I noticed on, like, my Instagram, I have friends from high school who or into this, I don't know if you've seen this, into the, uh, uh, we're going to make July American Pride Month, which I guess is supposed to be like a reaction to June being Pride Month, right? So they're like, I guess the somehow the opposite of, uh, uh, of LGBT Pride is Pride in America, which doesn't make a lot of sense because they're really not 
even on i mean it doesn't make sense obviously and it's it's kind of bigoted um but it made me think about how what you're saying about how like the right uh tends to want to sell an idea of america that is like infallible and it's like you know what we're gonna red white and blue everything and everything is great um and then but then I, I agree with you. The left should be coming from the point of view of like, hey, not everything is perfect, but what we can be patriotic about is the desire to make things better. And that like patriotism is largely about potential and, and passion for making things better. But then I see on social media, like from other people on the left, a, a sort of desire to to pan patriotism and the 4th of July and to spend the 4th of July exclusively saying all the things about America that they don't like without adding in the part about, but I believe America can be this thing that it's supposed to be. And I, and I just wanted to express, like, I have some discomfort with that, the idea of just being negative. Uh, and it kind of, it, it reminds me of like, um, like the kid in high school who was like, I'm going to be contrarian all the time because I'm not exactly sure how to fit in. So like, I'm just going to hate everything. And it's like, well, that's not actually productive, you know? So I feel like there's a, there's a more nuanced middle, uh, which I think is what you're talking about. Yeah, and look, you know, some of the negativity is obviously rooted in periods of time in our history and certain things currently going on um, that are deeply, deeply problematic. Those are things that we absolutely need to confront. It's frankly why I've, pretty much stopped my law practice and have become 100% fighting for our democracy here to correct those things, but to temporarily reflect as well on the fact that what we are fighting for is the dream about what our country can be and trying right. to perfect this union to me is ultimately a positive thing. You know, you, you talk about some of these memes being posted. I saw this video going around on TikTok that's like, my pronouns are USA. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, what's your point? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Those, the, uh, you're obviously trying to hate on uh, LGBTQ community or a community of people who, you know, use certain pronouns but like can you just like stop like i think in terms of our messaging can you stop obsessing please right wing on taking away people's freedoms and hate because when you look at what they talk about there isn't anything that they're actually talking about for the american people they're not talking about policy they're not talking about jobs they're not talking about the economy they're not talking about seniors or students they're not talking about any freaking issue all they are mm -hmm. talking about on a holiday which they purport is their holiday to celebrate freedom. All they are talking about is mocking their fellow Americans and trying to take away people's freedoms and celebrating things that take away people's freedoms. That is not freedom. And that is something that collectively we should be saying over and over again. So when we talk about their leader, the MAGA Republican leader, Donald Trump, and we pull up what he's posting about, the reason that we do it is this is a reflection on what the modern day Republican Party has become. One of the lines that I like that President Biden says is, don't compare me to the almighty, okay? Mm -hmm. This is politics. Compare me to the alternative right now. If you compare me to the almighty, I'm never going to stack up. And I always think about that line when I see that politics is about a choice. And look, one of the things I respect and like about Majority 54 and what I think differentiates it from some of our other shows here on the Midas Touch Network as well is that while I think our other shows are critical of Democrats and critical of Biden in certain respects, sometimes Majority 54 is sharply sharply critical in a way that I frankly disagree with. But that to me is what politics and discourse is all about. Like I'm good with that type of criticism, but let's not forget the comparisons here. Jason. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, I tend to think of us as like willing to be skeptical, you know? And, uh, and so it, it's interesting, like what you're talking about, like the, the different, the sort of right wing, it's sad that there's two different versions of patriotism right now. Right. But that the right wing version of patriotism being about 
really just about who you're against, you know, and and then sadly, sometimes the left wing response to that becomes against about who they're against. But I don't think that's the left wing version of patriotism. The left wing version of patriotism is about what we can be. Right. And I was thinking about this yesterday. We uh, did July 4th over at my my brother's house. He has a nice house with a pool. So we had enough space. And it was uh, one. It was the first July 4th of uh, this Afghan family that um, my wife and I pretty well adopted into our family that it was my translator's family and I was a big part of uh, bringing them over and out of Afghanistan and they've been here for uh, less than a month and they get to celebrate July 4th and so all 14 of them went over to my brother's house and like it was cool you know like some of the some of them speak great English some of them are just learning but everybody is saying you know happy 4th of July and like on the drive out to my 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 brother lives kind of out in the country so on the drive out there like I'm talking to my friend Raheem about like what he learned in his orientation classes this week at the resettlement agency. And he was learning about like religious freedom and freedom of speech and all this stuff. And so it was just, it was like a syrupy goodness of America sort of feeling, you know, like all the goods. And, and so the whole time I'm talking to him about, yeah, you know, that's one of the great things about this country, about how you can stand up and say things about the president, uh, whoever the president is, and like, they can't do anything to you. And of course, in my mind, I'm also thinking about some of the more critical stuff, the things we need to work on. But like, I'm also with my friend Raheem, who just got to America. So like, we don't need to get into the nuanced stuff. And then later in the night, like we're watching fireworks. And it's like, you know, there was a lot of Americana and it was really nice, but also sort of a forward looking, like inclusiveness. Uh, Like we went to this my brother was not in this small town and we went to this like little parade and you know, it's all white people and my Afghan friends and not all of them speak English. And, and like the women are wearing hijabs. And on the one hand, that was completely awesome. And on the other hand, I was thinking like, you know, I was feeling a little protective. Like uh, what are the people around us thinking? Are they going to say something, you know? And of course they didn't. And I should give them the benefit of the doubt, but that's sort of, I think the nuanced nature of like living in America today. If you want to know how things have changed too, you know, I remember when I was um, in my litigation days, when I was representing Colin Kaepernick in the uh, NFL case, one of the things that I was looking at was this uh, report that was prepared by John McCain and Jeff Flake, both the, the late John McCain and Jeff Flake, both at the time senators of Arizona. And they wrote this report on paid patriotism about all of the flyover stuff that occurs uh, before the NFL football games begins and all of the kind of military promoted accoutrements that have now become accepted practice at the game. But that wasn't always the case. And what Republican senators McCain and Flank, Flank argued was that the paid patriotism, the performative patriotism was a waste of money, was mm-hmm. problematic. That's what the Republicans were saying 15 years ago when they penned that report. They were yeah. criticizing paid patriotism. The modern day Republican Party is basically propaganda undermining patriotism and calling it patriotism but i wanted to put that footnote because that report always sticks with me and and, and you you may have recalled that report as as oh, well yeah well I, yeah i mean what gets me is like that was the beginning of the era or maybe mid era of red white and blue not not being the only patriotic colors that like woodland camo some somehow has become a patriotic color like it's interesting to me that like a couple times a year, major league baseball teams just wear camouflage hats and they make it like a, a you know, or like some of them do it on like 4th of July. And I'm like, this, that's not like an America color. <laughs> it's like a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a war color, you know? And like, I was in the army. Like I, I obviously support the military, but like, let's, let's not cross the streams all the time. You know I mean? It's not, it's, you know, one doesn't have to eat like to me. Uh, yes. Of course, joining the military, I believe, is a very patriotic thing to do, but so is joining the Peace Corps. And like, so is becoming a firefighter or a teacher. Um, and, and what's, I think, interesting in our culture right now is not what we meant to talk about. But, and I experienced this next thing I'm about to talk about a lot because, you know, I work in the veterans nonprofit world. And one of the things I do is I go into new communities and I talk about, uh, you know, building campuses, uh, which always means you're going into a neighborhood, right? So you're meeting with neighborhood leaders. And I've been doing this for four years now. And just in that four years, 
uh, culturally things have changed to where we were still close enough, I guess, to 9-11 to where like, no matter what community you were going into, you didn't have to be a political leader. You could just be a local leader to sort of have this vibe that said to, to receive this vibe that said, I can't really get up in a room and say, I don't want homeless veterans in my neighborhood. Right. And now uh, I am experiencing more people who are willing to stand up and say, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that I want this in my neighborhood. And I don't fault those people. What it leads me to understand is that uh, military folks and veterans are settling back into a more natural place in the way they're held in regard in our society, which is instead of being way up here on the highest uh, platform, um, it's more like, you know, down with other people that that folks respect, teachers and, you know, first responders and people like that, which is probably a more appropriate place to, to put veterans, in my opinion, uh, in terms of cultural regard. But it, what it means to me is that like we as a society are always sort of sorting out our feelings about patriotism and about what patriotism is. And it, it should be, like everything else, an ongoing conversation and not sort of a, uh, like a, a consistent belief in patriotism is only one thing. You know, and, and uh, I want to go into some of these posts by Donald Trump, but, you know, that is the tension, of course, in Bruce Springsteen's song, Born in the USA. Yeah. With the ballads of born in the USA. And mm -hmm. then I was, you know, telling my family yesterday, you know, I said, I said, listen to the lyrics of what mm -hmm. he's talking about, though, in the song. It's the song that's the number one put out there whenever there is this performative patriotism. But embedded in this is a factory worker who sent off to war in Vietnam, who comes back and basically can't find a job. And, and can't and, can't get the help he needs of the VA either. It's a big part of the song. And, and so when people are singing that on Fourth of July too, it reflects though I think everything that we're talking about here now. But ultimately, where you got to be rooted is in authenticity. You got to mm -hmm. you know you got to be rooted in okay. Well, what are you actually doing? And I saw this appearance over the weekend by Pete Buttigieg. We're going to talk later in the show about. Ron DeSantis's ridiculous, ridiculous campaign and ads. And he had some anti-LGBTQ ad where as part of the anti-LGBTQ ad, he sh had this uh, commercial of all of these like uh, like oiled up bodybuilders. And that's what DeSantis was like. Uh, and so Buttigieg is like, strange way to show your masculinity there um, because, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, he goes, but, 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 I, but I digress there. What policies are you doing? What are you actually helping? What, what are you doing? He's like, I wake up. Do I get it right all the time? No, but I wake up and I'm very, very serious about trying to help the American people. We're trying to build infrastructure. We're trying to deal with issues. And frankly, right now, do I agree with Democrats on everything? No. Do I agree with President Biden on, on, on everything? No. If President Biden were to post one QAnonymy, he would lose my support because I have standards in my politics. I would say that person can't be a leader. But right now, the Democrats, the Democratic Party, the pro-democracy coalition that is embodied in that are the only people speaking intelligently and trying to uh, trying to solve the problems and, and doing things. And so, like, look, this is Trump's first post on July 4th. This is what he posts. He reposts some random account called Andrea at God bless Trump 47. So you see there, that's a repost from him. And by the way, the fact that he even calls this platform Truth Social, a throwback to Pravda from the Soviet Union days is in and of itself dystopian. Um, and then you go, you look at this image that he's reposting. And the image says, uh, united we stand, and it's a photo of Trump from some event that's probably Photoshop. Um, but if you look at the bottom right of it, it has hashtag WWG1WGA. That is the QAnon slogan where we go one, we go all. Um, wow. That's I didn't Donald even know. Trump's. See, I'm learning stuff. That's, that's Donald Trump's first July 4th post. And he has posted QAnon memes. QAnon accounts, not like QAnon adjacent. And although even when people say QAnon adjacent is a bit is a bit like of a weird <laughs> yeah. kind of phrasing. Out. You mean you mean they're a QAnon cult follower, but but he's posted over five hundred Q 
QAnon memes, reposts, um, really over the past 18 months since uh, Truth Social went live on that platform. And this is just an example of it. He's not going to retract that. He's not going to take it down. No large media networks other than us are actually going to cover this. But his first post is a QAnon meme a death cult that believes that Trump is going to seize power, become an emperor, and engage in public executions uh, on on Capitol Hill. That's what he's. That's his first post. I'll show you his second post. Well, before we even, I want to talk about the QAnon thing with Trump for a second because I was thinking about like, you know, the guy has a pretty large lead in the polls, right? And so it is sort. Of, it is sort of odd that he remains very extreme and i was thinking about like how this happened because it made you know made sense as a strong term but when he was uh you know really really falling and it really seemed you know a few months ago it really seemed like oh trump was on the outs right he was his base seemed to be getting smaller and smaller and he just you know it, it made some sense it was like okay he's retreating into the extremes because that's what he has but now he's sort of seems to have survived all that and he's still like above 50% in a crowded field in a lot of these polls and it's like he went into the dark tunnel uh and then when he came out like he was changed like he's i think he went from like these are the only people who seem to still be with me during like the you know his walk in the wilderness politically to like now i'm no longer in the wilderness but i'm this person now like i bought into it uh, which is really scary because he's the front runner for the nomination on the Republican side. You know, if you, you go back to this individual historically and there's a lot of trends, you know, from criminality to his malignant narcissism um, mm -hmm. and and the idiocracy and just the bankruptcies over and over and over again. What the cult plays into and what he buys into in my view is exactly what all of the authoritarians know about him and frankly it's what hillary clinton said if you can bait him with a tweet just imagine what vladimir putin can do but you see it's more than just bait it's you can play him oh you yeah you can play him like a fiddle and so the cult stuff plays to this view that he feels in his malignant narcissistic mind that he holds all of the answers only he can solve it and the only people who give him that unadulterated assurance that the absurdity of his malignant narcissism is validated is wwgw1ga we love you we love you his vision for america and he's been saying it his whole life. He's been constrained but from implementing it. He tried to destroy and continues to try to destroy our checks and balances and our constitution, which just freaking barely survived the stress test. And that stress test is being tested once again. But he wants, why does he love Kim Jong-un? Because they treat him like the cult followers treat him here. He, why does he love President Xi? Because he perceives at least that that's how people view him. That's why he goes, President Xi, they call him the king. He is the king. I said, you are the king, President. You know, it, it, it's the idiot, it's the dumbest speeches in the world that he gives. But what he's telling us is that that's what he wants. Like, we should listen to him when he says it because he's telling us who he is, Jason. Yeah, parents out there, like, hug your children and tell, you, tell them you love them. Because if Trump's dad had just done that, it would spare us so much trouble. Like, <laughs> I mean, his, like, constant search for unconditional affection. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, whatever his name was, Fred Trump? was that his, Like, he really screwed us all by not just being affectionate toward his son. Anyway. Well, you know, and then you have a modern-day Republican Party enablers, you know, whether they're just frankly, unqualified idiots who view this as their path to power. People like Lauren Boebert's mm -hmm. and Marjorie Taylor Greens and Jim Jordan's and, 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 and that crew. Or you have kind of the country club Republican. Well, you know, he'll lower my taxes, so whatever. He's not, you know, Bill, Bill Barr kind of style, whatever. I'll, I'll let it happen. Well, guess what, Bill Barr? Now you're a freaking rhino. Now mm -hmm. he's coming for you. Yeah. Now you're a Marxist. You're a communist combined with fascist. They just throw these terms around. 
and you're now considered that. And as we know, they will come for you. And that's why it's critical that shows like yours, Majority 54, others here on the Midas Touch Network continue, though, to just let people know. You know, we did a great video earlier this morning on the Midas Touch Network where we talk about uh, former Republicans, uh, people who are truly conservative, not this MAGA Republican where we go one, we go all QAnon nonsense, independents, people not affiliated with political parties saying, you know what? Do I agree with Democrats and everything? No, but I ain't ever going back to this modern day Republican Party mess. And look, while the Democrats have their flaws, we know what they are. I, I, I you know, it's and again, it would be weird if we were like, hey, hey they're perfect in everything. That would mm -hmm. be cult like. We're not. We will criticize them at the appropriate times all the time. But this modern day MAGA Republican Party, I mean, you, you remember when a vice president spelled potato wrong and it was like, <laughs> you're done. You are out of here. Your reputation, you are done never again in politics. Now you got the leader of this party who, who this is what he says. This is his other 4th of July message. He's responding to this account that says 81 million votes, and I've never seen a pro-Biden hat, shirt, or flag in my life. And Donald Trump responds, true, no Biden hats anywhere, ne never seen one, never seen, a, never seen a Biden hat. That is the type of, or, or, or this other post by Donald Trump lying that he gets bigger crowds than Elvis, you know, this whole thing with, the, you know, it's a photo of him next to Elvis and he's reposting it or, or this other meme that he makes of himself talking about performative patriotism. This is a photo. I mean, just, just, just look at this. Like, like this stuff is, this stuff is crazy, Jason Kander. And like, we have to talk about it in those terms. Okay. Well, crazy. You know, what gets me about it is like, there's this part of me that, you know, doing this show every week that almost wants to shame myself for talking about Trump so much because I'm like, come on, like, move on. But then I remember the dude's going to be the Republican nominee. Like, I mean, I'm just talking about the guy who's going to be the and, and it's like, we're all tired of talking about him. We're all all those things. And then part of me is like, you know. <laughs> I feel like all this shame, like, am I, am I being like the folks in the media who bring up Trump because it clicks? And then I remember, no, like the dude is going to be the Republican nominee and that's why he's getting talked about right now. And that's so damned troubling. And to your point about like, it used to be a scandal, like when somebody misspelled potato, isn't potato one of those words that like it's there's an e in it when it's plural i think and it's like that's confusing like we were too hard on politicians before is my point like the you know and now like, like potatoes yeah <laughs> yeah and now anything goes you know so like it's like we've we've gone from like politicians can make the slightest little mistake to like and then be basically done to like some politicians can't make a mistake and the thing with like the you know red hats I do think that um, thinking back to 2016, you know, we panned a lot of like the the Trump voters as like, I don't think we I think we clearly underestimated them. And I think while on the one hand, clearly Trump and his people like to uh, they like to play with the metrics. They like to choose metrics as they go along. This week, we're going to do crowd size. Next week, we're going to do this because they want to always be, you know, generating false momentum but at the same time like i do think we have to be realistic about the fact that like it's true we you know uh, joe biden is not barack obama like there are not a lot of people drawn to the movement because of joe biden they are drawn to voting for joe biden because of joe biden but there is something to constantly monitor there which is an enthusiasm gap um and it it is what frightens me about the whole thing like particularly living here like fourth of july you know there's an awful lot of people that I saw out there sporting their Trump gear uh, as 4th of July attire. Um, and I didn't see it. I'm not saying that it necessarily matters in terms of how people show up to vote, but it can matter in terms of how people show up to volunteer and that kind of thing. So it's, it's a good moment for people listening to sort of gut check, what is your level of enthusiasm uh, for the 2024 elections? Is it enough? And are you doing enough to bring other people into volunteering and into being active? Because that's how you get beat is by not keeping an eye on that sort of thing. 
and you can't lose enthusiasm. And to me, there is a difference, though, of being in a cult, making your entire mm -hmm. identity, I love Donald Trump, I love Donald Trump, um, and separately being enthusiastic for the democ for your democracy and 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 doing everything you can to be helpful. You know, um, I talk about it a lot, but you know, whenever I'm offered to you know go speak at some event of people who are making you know who are putting postcards or canvassing, um, I'll I'll always say you know almost always if I'm free I will always say yes to it. You know, when I did one recently in Santa Clarita here in California. Um, 27th Congressional District, Mike Garcia, MAGA Republican, has that seat, a very flippable seat, you know, and I saw enthusiasm there. Look, and, and these are people who aren't going to go to rallies. They're not going right. to wear Biden hat. Because they're, they're like wear. busy volunteering, <laughs> which is yeah, good. And, and they're busy people. They're going about their day. But what we can't take for granted um, is our democracy. You know, when I I think people took for granted, including me, our democracy in 2016, where I voted for Hillary Clinton. But when I was driving back from the deposition I was headed out that day, I was so overconfident that people were going to do the right thing and and Clinton was going to win. And I took for granted those Obama years, which I just go back. Don't get me wrong. There was there was not all it was not all peaches during the the uh, obama administration but even when i go back and i like think about like like a song will come on from that time or mm -hmm. i'll look at a video from that time of just things happening or i'll look at photographs of that time and then i think to myself like politically what was going on where was i i get filled with all of these emotions mm -hmm. uh, because Things were actually very, it was truly a different time. And I, you know, I guess sometimes people say, well, back then in my day, it was different. But it was truly a different time. Things felt far more normal. And then I get this sinking feeling of how Donald Trump, this historical grifter, this person who's bankrupted everything he's touched. Everybody in New York and New Jersey knew how this guy screwed over all of the workers, never paid his bills, bankrupted everything he touched, how he ravaged and attacked our country. And for me, people are like, oh, you talk about Trump all the time on the, the Midas Touch Network. It's for the, I, I hope I never have to talk about this guy yeah. again, but it is a point of comparison. And I think a critical point of comparison, right? We have two major political parties right now. That's, that's the system that we have right now. Mm -hmm. So there's got to be some basis of comparison. So when we do the videos, when we have these conversations, we, we compare them. So like, let's just pull up. Well, what was President Biden? talking about on the 4th of July, like compare Donald Trump's post and let's just pull up anyone at random. Uh, we've helped create millions of new jobs, passed historic legislation to lower costs for families, um, and seen millions of small business applications across the country, all while the unemployment rate has remained at historic lows. Let's keep it going. Here's another one that he says about troops. As we celebrate our nation this 4th of July, I'm thinking of the countless service members who sacrificed so much to keep us safe. We will always be in debt to those who defend our nation and our democracy around the world. And to think that posts like this trigger people, this, this makes people on the right angry? They get pissed at that person. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, those posts are just boring. And that's like what we're rooting for, right? Like it's for the president, just like say usual, regular president stuff. Like just go do president things. Don't do like, you know, WWE heel stuff. Like just, just don't talk about haters and losers. Just, just do, you know, regular president fourth of july stuff and uh and hopefully you know at the end of the day most people will prefer that and that look and and what we have to do what we have to talk about on this network though is what the large media networks also refuse to talk about things like the fact that the united states is the fastest growing gdp 
of all G7 nations, we're number one. And in terms of inflation, the lowest inflation of all other G7 nations in the world and the fastest decrease of inflation as compared to all G7 nations, okay, to be the number one GDP of all G7 nations and then have MAGA Republicans go like, we hate Bidenomics, is like watching the World Cup winner hold the World Cup and then basically be like, man, they sucked. They, they, they were the losers, right? No, they won the World Cup. Yeah. They were the number one in the world. What do you do? What other basis of comparison do you want do, do, do you want to have? We introducing have so much the more. Well, I was just before we go to now, I was gonna say introducing the term Bidenomics over the last couple of weeks has just been like a brilliant thing to do. To just like put it out as if it's always been a term that we've used. Uh, <laughs> I've I've really appreciated that move. I thought it was pretty pro. I, w- I, w- I want to hear you break that down. I also want to talk about the Trump SPAC entering into an $18 million settlement agreement with the SEC that Donald Trump is refusing to sign, although the SPAC saying, we did it, we're happy to sign it. So as usual, a complete cluster, you know what, everything involving Donald Trump. Let's talk about Bidenomics. Let's talk about Trump fraud after this quick break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, There's been plenty of times in my life when I thought, you know what, it would be good to check in uh, with my therapist, particularly over the last few years, because that's when I started seeing a therapist. And I can just tell you that it has it has worked extremely well for me. Uh, sometimes in life, we're faced with these tough choices and the path, path forward just isn't clear. My wife and I have a rule, actually, which is that if one of us says to the other, I think you should make an appointment with your therapist, uh, we don't get to argue about it. It's not like debatable. It's just like, okay, you have to do it, which means we're pretty sparing about when we say it. Uh, but when we do, it just means you got to go make an appointment. And I'm always happy that I did. In fact, oftentimes I feel better as soon as I made the appointment. And then I feel even better when I when I have the appointment. So uh we're very excited as a result that BetterHelp is a sponsor. Continue to be excited about it. And if it's something that you've never tried before, therapy that is, this is a great way to try it. If it's something you've had good experience with and you're in between therapists, another good reason to try it. So let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash M54 today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash M54. As anybody who listens to the show knows, uh, I've been drinking AG1 for quite a while now, like a few years. In fact, it uh, replaced what I used to take, like a multivitamin. I used to take a few things, and now I don't, I don't take any of that. I just I just drink AG1 in the morning. And uh, I'll be honest, there was a stretch here recently where I just, you know, how you get out of a routine. And with getting the kids ready in the morning and everything, I got out of my routine of drinking my AG1 first thing in the morning. And I it kind of messed me up for a few days. And then I realized I was like, Oh, why do I feel kind of off? And, I, and then I remembered, Oh, it's because I haven't been drinking my AG one first thing in the morning, like I usually do. And I got right back to it. And boom, felt right back in my routine. It's like personally, for me, not only is it great, because you get your AG one first thing in the morning, and that gives you all sorts of energy makes you feel good. But on top of that, the bonus is it means you're hydrating first thing in the morning. And like, if you live here in the middle of the country, where it's a 1000 degrees in the summer, like that is a particularly helpful thing to do. So if you're looking for a simpler, effective investment for your health, try AG one and get five free AG one travel packs and a free one year supply of vitamin D with your first purchase. So go to drink one.com slash majority. That's drink AG one.com slash majority. Check it out. Okay, uh, Ben, this SPAC and Trump social stuff seems important. And I don't understand it. I'm like, you know, I, I'm a recovering lawyer who no longer even has to go to continuing legal education or anything. And my my license is like in a dustbin somewhere. So I assume you have tracked this. Will you teach us what is happening here? Sure. So a SPAC stands for Special Purpose Acquisition Company, sometimes referred to as a blank check company. It is just simply a way to bring a private company public. Think about it as two different roads to going public. I'm oversimplifying things. One road is this rigorous IPO process, a private company that's been around for a long time with a balance sheet and revenue and EBITDA and projections matures to the point where it's going to the public markets, where the SEC says, you know what? You've been around for a long time. We're okay if you list as a public company. We we trust you now, but you have to go through these rigorous steps. So the SPAC is an alternative route. And the route is this 
uh, this entity that goes public then has to find a target company, which is a private company to bring it public. In theory, the SPAC sponsor is supposed to be a group of very qualified financial people, and they're not allowed to have any communications with the target company before they go public. They're simply hmm. telling investors, hey, we're super qualified financial people. Give us a bunch of your money. We're going to go out on this journey together, and we're going to find a company, and we're going to bring that company public. Now, the IPO has been around for a while. It has financials. It goes through this rigorous process. In the blank check company, it's just that. Blank check investors will find that qualified company and bring it public. But if there were communications that predate the blank check company going public, well, then it's viewed as, well, you're basically just trying to do an end run around the IPO process. You just go through that process. So in this, the SEC says no pre-communications can take place before the SPAC goes public. Then we're all on this journey together. Then provide the shareholders with information about your journey. And then the shareholders can then vote. And if they don't like your target, they get all of their money back. Basically. Mm, okay. But one of the problems with SPACs, though, is, is that if there is, to use a, a word that's, you know, in the parlance a lot, collusion that's mm -hmm. taking place with the SPAC, the Go Public Company, and its target before, you could potentially be bringing very bad companies that never deserve to go public public in the first place. And so why the SEC has been so concerned about SPACs is, well, we've got this well-regulated IPO process, but we're not really getting sophisticated sponsors finding sophisticated private companies and bringing them public. We're having these kind of, we're seeing often people with very little financial experience finding companies that never deserve to be public. And then you overhype it, you oversell it, you promote the crap out of it unlawfully, and you bring that stock price up super hmm. high because it's supposed to trade at $10 a share. Yeah. And then you basically becomes a pump and dump type scheme. So that's what the SEC is afraid of. And what seems to have taken place here is everything the SEC wants to guard against, right? That the sponsor, Digital World Acquisition Company, founded by this guy, Patrick Orlando, was having communications with people in Trump's world. One of them, we know, it's a whistleblower, a guy by the name of Will Wilkerson, who's left Trump media and has told the SEC and DOJ, we were breaking the law at Trump media, come <laughs> after us. So a Trump person from mm -hmm. Trump media was saying we broke the law. So these communications took place when they weren't supposed to. In fact, a lot of people got the insider information and made huge fortunes right before it went public because they knew this was going to be a Trump SPAC. So huge fortunes were made. Um, the SPAC goes public. It announces its merger. The stock price goes whoosh, through the roof. Everybody's talking about it in Trump world. Trump's posting about it. Everyone's talking about truth social this, truth social that. So the price goes up to like 175 hmm. and everybody's putting their life savings in this thing. And where's the stock trading at now? Basically 12 bucks, almost $10 a share. So then whoosh, everybody lost their life savings. And I was saying this from the beginning because in my legal career, it's not like I just woke up one day and go, oh, I know what a SPAC is. I've, I know the SPAC regime and the structure because I've worked with SPACs um, before, the ones that work the way they're actually supposed to work, which if you don't find the right merger partner, you just shut it down, you dissolve. Um, so it was fairly obvious to me what was going on here. So the SEC opened an investigation, the DOJ opened an investigation, because this stuff is not just a violation of securities law, civil, where you can have cease mm -hmm. and desist orders, monetary, but it's criminal. We learned mm -hmm. last week the DOJ unsealed an indictment of three individuals for insider trading who before the SPAC went public, they were saying, aha, we got the Trump SPAC. They made like $22 million on this, on this insider trading. So that's what was going down 
That's one of the things the SEC and the DOJ are investigating. And here in this settlement agreement, um, what's basically happening is the SPAC, not Trump media. Remember, Trump media, SPAC are supposed to merge. Trump media mm -hmm. is the target company. The SPAC finds the target company. And by the way, one of the biggest red flags to me, I digress for a second, but it's important. Trump media didn't even exist when the SPAC was announced. So how could you be merging with a company that didn't exist, has no financials whatsoever, not even one year of looking back financials, no EBITDA whatsoever, isn't making money. And in the S1 filing, which is the initial SPAC go public filing, Digital World Acquisition Company said it was looking for a company valued at $400 million to $2 billion. You know how much money Donald Trump values Truth Social at? And his latest campaign financial disclosures between five and $25 million. So the company says it's looking for a billion, Digital World Acquisition Company says it's looking for a billion dollar company. Trump is reporting that the company's worth five to 25 million, because you know, he, he, he deflates yeah, that, that when it, yeah. you know, so that's what he's doing on his, so that was one of the biggest red flags to me. But here, Digital World Acquisition Company, the SPAC is saying, look, SEC, we, the SPAC, will enter into the settlement agreement with you. Under Section 5.2 of our definitive merger agreement with Trump Media, we actually, their, re, their approval is required for any settlement with you above $100,000, but they cannot unreasonably withhold their consent. And in essence, what the SPAC is saying is, Trump is unreasonably withholding his consent to enter into the settlement agreement. But the SPAC, Digital World Acquisition Company, is saying under Section 5.2, we fulfilled our requirements, we believe. So if Trump wants to sue us, he can sue us. If they want to dissolve the SPAC, but we're going to enter into the settlement, we believe we did the criteria. Now, last point, why doesn't Trump want to sign the settlement agreement? Because in essence, he would be stipulating to the fraud. There's still criminal exposure taking place. And Trump does what Trump always does. He throws everybody under the bus. So the SPAC was great when he thought it was going to make him billions of dollars. But now when the SPAC is admitting that it violated anti-fraud provisions in, co in concert with Trump media, Donald Trump's like, nope, it was all you. It was all you. Now, we don't have any quotes or stories of Donald Trump saying, nope, it was all you. But if you read SEC filings the way I do, you know that's exactly what is taking place in those files. So there so, you have it, SPAC 101. It's very helpful. I didn't know any of that stuff. Uh, it is incredible, two things. One, <clears throat> how many different things he is involved with just operate outside the law from the jump. Not like, oh, things got out of hand and it was one thing after another and the next thing we knew we were outside the law. Like, just like, yeah, well, we started outside the lines and we stayed outside the lines the whole time because we don't recognize the lines. And then the other thing is like, just, I don't know, I've been reading lately just stuff about how he's telling people he may start using Twitter again. And it's like, he's got his own social media company and he can't help but be such a fair weather fan that he's just like, ah, I'm ready to just abandon that thing. Uh, now, nah. I mean, and just, so. And just think too. So the former CEO of the SPAC resigned, Patrick Orlando. Patrick Orlando then set up a $6 million shady loan from the island of Dominica to keep Truth Social going. That, as far as I know, was never disclosed to investors. At every aspect of this thing, there is wrongdoing, cutting corners, and potential criminality. And that basically defines everything he does. You know, and then this isn't being talked about a lot because we're focused a lot on these MAGA Republicans in the House going after Mayorkas and Merrick Garland and Biden, but they have launched the MAGA Republicans on the financial committees have launched investigations into uh, the head of the SEC. They, they're trying to get the head of the SEC fired. You're improperly targeting Donald Trump. You're going after mm -hmm. Trump. And it's like, no, Trump's just, he's just breaking the freaking law. Yeah, it's, yeah, it, yeah. It, he, no one's going, it, it, you know, it's just stop with the crap. It's just follow the law. Law yeah. and order mean something. And it goes back to this theme of this episode, performative. Yeah, I mean, you want to go out there and say, law and order, we support the police, thin blue line. But your actions are the exact opposite. You screw over the cops. You screw over 
law and order. You screw over. the. You're the defund party. You're the abolish party. All right. From screwing over to screwing up, let's talk about Ron DeSantis for a minute. Um, I, I, I can, all I can say is this is like on this show, Ravi and I have been constantly telling people not to underestimate Ron DeSantis. I still think I believe that, but I'm starting to become uh, open to the idea that people were properly estimating Ron DeSantis <laughs> because uh, this dude is, he's kind of had his moment now a few times <clears throat> and he keeps coming up pretty short. Um, and I know we talked a little earlier about, you know, his odd attempt to gain attention by, you know, like a child that acts out, you know, like, like that kid in class who like doesn't exactly know how to uh, socialize with the other kids. So he hits them and he's not like an angry kid. Maybe in this case he is, but like he just doesn't know another way to uh, to relate. And I feel like that was sort of what DeSantis was doing with this video. It's like, I got to get attention somehow. But really, the dude has fallen flat, like big time. Um, you know, you have a thing here about the betting markets, uh, which <laughs> I hate to admit how accurate they tend to be. Um, and they have Gavin Newsom, I guess, in a better position to, you know, a guy who's not running uh, and whose party has an incumbent in the White House, uh, a better chance, really, of being president than Ron DeSantis right now. That doesn't seem good uh, if you're Ron DeSantis. I think it sounds really bad <laughs> if you're Ron DeSantis. I mean, I'm looking but, at, I actually went to look at this betting market that you brought up and it's got me in it and it's got me at a hundred. So let's see, let's go back to where does it have? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's got me like six points below Ron DeSantis and I'm a podcast host now and a little league coach. So like that doesn't seem good for him. Well, misstep after misstep after misstep um and he rode the coattails of trump and you really can't exist in a cult and then challenge your cult leader number one um yeah. and if you're gonna then challenge your cult leader you better go for the knockout punch Right. You yeah. can't go after the cult leader and just be like, well, you know, I kind of agree with the cult leader. He's like, all right, but, <laughs> you know, maybe you should pick. He's a cult leader like like DeSantis. You did a freaking video for your 2018 campaign of like teaching your kids to like build the wall like, you know. Yeah. Remember his campaign? It was like, yeah. we love Donald Trump here so much so that we're reading our kids you know, books about Donald Trump. And Donald Trump said that there will be light, like, you know, and let's build the wall, son. Like that was actually the ad that he runs. So, you know, the one thing that Donald Trump, you know, basically says about DeSantis, well, it says that's accurate in general, but about DeSantis is like, Trump made this guy. DeSantis yeah. was not going to be the governor. There was the, you know, the, the, there was one of the undersecretaries, I forget of which position, of the person who was always expected to be the governor who was crushing DeSantis. Donald Trump, uh, you know, basically gave DeSantis, you know, the, the cosign. DeSantis rode that all the way up. And then DeSantis, if you're going to go after Trump, you gotta, you just gotta go after the guy, the, you know, the, the way Chris Christie is. That's the only mm -hmm. way you could run a campaign like this. You gotta do the Chris Christie, go after him, but to say, hey, you know, I, yeah, I, I think his policies are great. He's a good, good, good policy, you know, and he, and he talks with his mouth, like, you know, and, th and then there's just all of the weirdness of the guy, like to your point, it, 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 it's like he's never been taught the basic social cues. So the story of him with pudding fingers in a vacuum doesn't make sense. So like you go, okay, mm -hmm. he eats pudding with three fingers and like, and, and like slobs it all over his mouth. Like you're like, that's weird, but like, I, I don't really understand it. But then when he engages in all of the other conduct that he does, like he doesn't know how to eat a pizza he laughs before the joke is even told. He wipes his boogers. He wipes his boogers on people. So you go, you, you go over all of those things, and then and then I thought, and I called this like if you go back, you know, to the tweet that I put up right before um, DeSantis announced on Twitter, I was like, that's the dumbest thing in the world. Elon Musk can barely get through an interview. Elon Musk 
cannot do cannot deliver an interview so you're going to do twitter which is crazy glitchy you're going to do something that's on like the the twitter voice conversation feature which is like hard to even figure out with elon i'm like it's going to malfunction elon can't hold the conversation it's going to be weird and that to me set the tone of this complete and utter failure but you know here's the thing here's the thing people are going to look back at the DeSantis years in Florida, history's not going to be kind to the to what he's done. He's took Florida is a great state with great people, with a lot of hope, and you know it 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 should be relatively easy to deliver good things to good people in one of the greatest states. Um, Yet DeSantis managed to use that power, turn it into this like fascist, angry, hateful thing, take away people's freedoms, and they are going to see the results of it. You know, the results of some of these policies don't show up right away, right? Like you're going to see the results of all of these failures five, 10 years from now, and then the Republicans say, oh, see, the Democrats did it, the Democrats did it. That's and then, 100% what they're going to do. There'll be a Democratic governor possibly by then, or even if there's not, they'll blame, a, they'll blame a Democratic president. Yeah, I, I think the whole theory of DeSantis has been, and, and Brett said this before we went on the air, that he would be Trump without all the baggage. But it's like, yes, but also without, whether you like it or not, without any personality. Like, I mean, you know, Trump is a lot of things, but he's not boring, you know, and I'm not saying that that makes him good. I'm just saying, like, we've spent the last 56 minutes talking about the dude because he's evil, but also because he's not boring and he's constantly out there making it so that he's being talked about. And DeSantis is pretty boring, it turns out. Uh, and so, yeah, he doesn't have any of the baggage, but he also doesn't have any of the other stuff Republicans like. So I, I uh he had I, he had his moment, man. It was right there for the taking, and it appears to me that that window is very close to closing for him. Um, so seems before very we, close to closing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, that said, uh, before we you know finish this off, we should talk about these major Supreme Court rulings. I'm going to throw it back to you because you're the lawyer, and I'm the guy who used to play a lawyer in real life. Uh, <laughs> and I'll let you talk about these for a second. Well, you got this case, right? This 303 Creative LLC versus Ellenis, which challenged this anti-discrimination law in Colorado, which says businesses can't discriminate against people. And somebody, your name is Lori Smith, sounds like a fake name even, like, like Jane Doe created a mm -hmm. fake web design company. She's never designed a website in her life, yet she says, I'm thinking about starting a web design company. She files a lawsuit against Colorado, the state of Colorado, because she wants to put a, a sign on her hypothetical store and on her website saying, we discriminate against gay couples here. And then she claims a day after I filed that lawsuit in 2016, just so people know how long these cases take. The case was originally filed in 2016. She got an inquiry from miraculously a gay couple and someone named Stuart wanted a person who's never designed a website to spend thousands of dollars and, and design this website. And she goes, oh, based on my religion, I am so offended by this. And so it turns out also that she used someone's real name, at least, or there's a real name of this Stuart person. Um, but Stuart's like, I am not gay. I'm straight. I've been married for 15 years. I'm a graphic designer, so I would never need somebody to even make me a website. And why would I go to someone who's never designed a website in their life to make me a website? But on that basis, the Supreme Court said that this hypothetical business has a First Amendment right when it operates in the public. It's not a private club, in the public to discriminate and say, um, we don't want gay couples here. And just think about how dangerous that extension is to, you know, to other areas. It's incredibly dangerous. But here you have these kind of right wing groups that are bringing up to the Supreme Court, these Federalist Society groups bring to the Supreme Court these like hypothetical things. And as a law student, you know this from law school, like. 
There's got to be standing, Article Mm 3 standing. There's got to be injury. Like there has to be real cases. And so not only do we see the Supreme Court overturning its precedent, they're just ruling on things where there's absolutely no standing. I mean, you know, there could be I mean, my my view is I'm very supportive of President Biden's student debt cancellation program. Um, But wherever your view on the case is, there was absolutely no standing in that case as well. And the Supreme Court basically found that because Missouri, Mohella, Mm -hmm. as as you know, which collects student debt, even though Mohella Mohella wasn't the group that brought it. Uh, the state of Missouri was the one who filed it on behalf of Mohella. They said, well, that's enough standing. And even though the statute gives the Secretary of Education the ability for waivers and modifications of student loans, Congress should have predicted when it created the HEROES Act in 2003 that COVID-19 was going to exist. And it doesn't specifically mention COVID-19. So it's a violation of separation of power. So you have them just ignoring the text ignoring precedent and coming up with fake standing, you know, and, you know, as, as, as lawyers, um, it is deeply, deeply problematic. We've done deeper dives. Uh, so I, I'm not going to rehash all of the deeper dives we've done here on the Midas Touch Network, but you can go and look at many of the videos and the last episode of Legal AF. Make sure you subscribe to Majority 54, not just here on our YouTube channel. Subscribe to the Midas Touch YouTube channel. Subscri- search Majority 54. It's super easy. You will love the discussions between Jason Kander and Ravi Gupta when I'm not on here. It's look, it's it's a slightly, I'm just going to be honest, a slightly different perspective than probably some of the other Midas shows, but I think an important perspective and make sure you check out Majority 54 there as well. Um, And check out store.midastouch.com for the best pro-democracy gear. A lot of breaking news that I got to catch up to, Jason Kander, and I got a report on final words for you. Thanks for doing this this week. Um, And uh, I hope Ravi is having a great time in Italy. I'm sure that he is. He's pretty good at that. Uh, And, uh, you know, thanks for stepping in. You're a pro at this and uh, you made it easy on me. So for everybody else, remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today.